Today, we are launching a brand new series. That series is called Better, the Promise of the Holy Spirit. Better, the Promise of the Holy Spirit. And it's a perfect time to talk about the Holy Spirit because everybody's trying to figure out how to make 2019 better. In 2019, you know, top New Year's resolutions are everywhere. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And new, I, this is what I think is so really important about our culture, like, like our city, our society. Everybody's kind of asking the question about how do we make 2019 really work? How do we make it better? How can it be more significant? And, uh, and, and so I think this is a good thing in our culture, and I want to say yes to it. I want, I want you to go through that process of asking the question. It's just that I think the conclusions you should come to might be different. It, uh, Google did a survey of 1,000 individuals, and here's what they came up. What, what, are, what are your resolutions in 2019? What are the top ones? Of course, exercise more, lose weight. Everybody wants to exercise more and lose weight. And I say yes. Many of us should, including me. Get healthier, you know, make, make, make life more enjoyable. Save money, 37%. Uh, 24% people say they want to travel, gr- get a new job or hobby, 12%. Uh, uh, make new friends. Uh, there was uh, some, you know, read more books, be, be more kind. I saw in the list, like, be more kind. That's just not very specific. It's like, like this last one, find love, 7%. I just need to find love. It's somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to find it. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting resolution, right? Because you, the only way you really find love is you give it. There's something that you have to find in the way you love someone. And this is indicative of the challenge of New Year's resolutions, right? How should we do this? What, what steps should we take? They're too general to be more specific. The New Year is a, is a time for change, though. It is a time when we kind of start over. It's a time for reflecting on where we've been and where we're going to go. And, and I believe that as we do that, I think we have an opportunity as Jesus followers to ask him, what do you want for our lives? Because this idea of starting over, starting again, it is the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus and the gospel is you can begin again. You can get rid of your past and you can start fresh. You can have a second and third and fourth and fifth and 27th chance because of Jesus. Christianity is based on this concept uh, that God himself came into the world by sending his son, Jesus, to illustrate the kind of life he wants us to live. Jesus was really the first human to be fully human the way God designed us to be. And he came and, and, and did miracles and, and ministered to people and healed them and delivered them. And, and he dealt decisively with the stuff that was going wrong in people's lives. And I think in the same way, we have to ask Jesus, by his spirit, to deal decisively with what is wrong in our lives 
and what needs to be changed. And that is what first, Seek First is all about. Seek First, you have a little card on your, uh, I believe you have a card. Maybe the ushers didn't get those cards to your uh, seats during the, the middle, but it's, it's called Seek First, and it's a time to reprioritize. Everybody say reprioritize. I need my phone, babe. I don't know where that went. Oh, there it is, because I need to read something out of that. Um, It's a time to reprioritize our lives based on what's really important, based on what God thinks is important about our lives. For the Christian, this is a moment to repent of habits that were bad in 2018 and to embrace the new work that God wants to do in our lives, to re-engage with God and place Him at the center of everything, to make Him first, to give Him first place in everything, and I'm encouraging all of you, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I'm going to need water, (coughs) sorry, it's been two weeks since I preached up here, (coughs) and I've missed you, (laughs) so here's what we're going to do this week, here's what Seek First we're going to do, we're going to read scripture, I want all of you to join me, and we're going to join together, we're going to read the Bible together this, this year. We're not just going to read it for the next seven days, but I want you over these next seven days to join me in a Bible reading app called The Bible in One Year 2019 with Nikki Gumbel. Nikki Gumbel is the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London. He is a, a, just a, a brilliant guy, and um, who doesn't love a British man reading you the scriptures, um, you know, in the morning or at night before you go to bed? There's something really powerful about it. You can download it right now on your, on your smart device, um, bibleinoneyear.org. BibleInOneYear.org, right? You can go right there and, and download the app. And so we're going we're gonna to do scripture, and then we're going to pray. There's going to be prayer meetings all over the place this week. There's going to be a prayer meeting every morning right here in Austin, 6.30 to 7.30. We'll go one hour. It'll be a thing. Get up early and get going and pray with us. And that's going to happen at each location, in Kyle and Lake Travis and in Austin. And so we'll have those prayer meetings here. And then Monday through Thursday, We will do an evening prayer meeting, 7 to 8 p.m., and this prayer meeting is personal prayer ministry. People who need to be healed, people who have something really bad going on in their lives, people who need deliverance, people who need strength, people who need peace, and we're going to have the prayer team is going to be here, and we're going to lay hands on you and, and pray for you. Pray for God to touch you and for a miracle to happen in your life. This is going to be awesome. And then we're going to do a midday kind of prayer devotional thing on Facebook Live. And then we're going to fast. We're going to, we're going to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. Some of you are like, I didn't sign up for that. Listen, fasting is really an amazing thing to get involved in. It means literally to go without food. I don't know why they call it fasting because as soon as you stop eating, the time goes so slow. But I want you, that's why I gave you this fasting guide. This is also in your seat somewhere in your row. Pick up one of these. You can also get this at onechapel.com under Seek First. You can go check it out. It's online and it'll coach you on how to fast. All right. And then we're going to worship this Friday night. Everybody say Friday night. Friday night, we're going to gather right here, all three campuses. We're going to worship from seven to nine or so, and then we'll kind of take a little break, and we'll start into our all-night prayer meeting. Now, let me explain the all-night prayer meeting thing, because some of you are like, what is that? I believe that one of the problems that humans have is we don't spend enough time 
with God in his presence. He's always willing. He's always waiting and always ready. In fact, I would venture to say that he's always with you. The problem is our acknowledgement of his presence and taking time for his presence to soak and saturate our own hearts and our own minds. And I believe there's something about an all-night prayer that indicates that we're desperate for God. And I want you to know as your pastor, I feel desperate for God in 2019. I feel desperate for his spirit, his power, his grace, his mercy, his vision, his wisdom, his plans for us, for our city. We need him to move powerfully in our own lives and in our neighborhoods and our communities. And I just am I'm desperate enough to do something radical, to do something almost ridiculous like staying up all night and seeking him. And if you've never been part of it, you need to... You need, to, you need to show up and, and, and go for it. You don't even have to be there the whole time. You just be there for a bunch of it. Um, but T-shirts won't be handed out till after midnight. So just so you know. <laughs> and so I want you to join with us this week. Seven days. That's what we're doing. And, and we're just going to go for it. We're going to seek God together. And what we're doing is we're purposefully changing our schedule to challenge our lives, to open up our hearts, to reflect the values that we want to carry on throughout the entire year. Because listen, what you do first has impact on what comes next. The Bible teaches this. This is what tithing really is. Tithing, giving uh, uh, your 10% your, uh, of, of what you've received to God is the first and best that you can give. You don't wait till there's some leftover. You give it first, and then it's your best thing that you've got to give. And, and, in, and in the agrarian days of the Bible's writing, it was really meaningful because you were giving away a lamb, or you were giving away uh, a calf, or you were giving away, and you had to give the best one, not the one that was all marked up and all messed up. It's first and best. That's what God wants for us because what comes first blesses the rest. That's what happens. Whatever happens first is what influences and blesses the rest. That's what God teaches. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What things? If you read all the context, you will see clothing, food, place to live, all, the, all these things will be given to you as well. Whatever you put first has huge ramifications. So I want to take a week, the first full week of January, and let's seek God together. Will you, go, will you do it with me? The, ver the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Plunge in. Do something radical. Get up early. <laughs> Stay awake all night and seek God. God wants to increase our capacity, and when we put our lives in order, His order helps determine capacity. He wants to add things to your life. It's not on your message notes. It's okay. He, you can write it down. You're free to, to write it down. But listen, listen, this is a profound idea. Order determines capacity. Jesus says, seek first, and then I'll add a bunch of stuff to you. 
The seeking of God first and making him priority enlarges our capacity, increases our ability to receive what he's ready to give. It's a, it's a profound idea. My kids and I, we clean out our garage once every three years, something like that. No, we clean it out, usually spring and fall, and when we clean it out, what happens? It's a mess. We clean, get all this stuff out on the driveway. People come walking by. Are you having a garage sale? No, I want to keep this crap. And, <laughs> and, I, and I put it back in. My wife is like, you just said that word. So we, we, we throw away the junk. We throw away the junk, and then we put it back in the garage, only we order it. We put it in an orderly way. We put the first things in, the second thing, and we, and we put it in a right order, and suddenly I have room for cars. What? This is what God wants for your spiritual life. He wants to enlarge your capacity, so join me for Seek First. Because the problem with most of us is 2019 will go a, f- a couple of weeks here, and it won't be long till, till what's in the forefront of your mind is a bunch of other stuff. A bunch of other things. Think about it. What's in the forefront of your mind right now? Is it finances? Is it anxiety? Is it work? Is it kids? Is it your failures? Is it, is it the, the insecurity that you have about what's coming? Is it wrong relationships? Is it, is it sex? Is it what is, what is always in the forefront of your mind? Because for all of us, we, we live with stuff right here. And what I want to challenge you to do this year is stop living between your ears. Start living with God's spirit filling your life and directing your mind and directing your steps. I heard a pastor say a few weeks ago, he said the vast majority of American Christians are being discipled by cable news channels because they're listening to the news more than they're reading the scripture. Because they're all bent out of shape over everything that's going on in our country. We're spending too much energy on politics, too much on, on entertainment, too much on accumulating more stuff, too much on work. And I think there, we're, we're, we're crowding out the one person who can really help us. The one person who can really help us. I, I was reading Forbes magazine doing a little research on this, and there was a, a guy or a lady, I can't tell by the name, but the name, uh, the person who re- wrote the article was Prudy Gorguchin. And, and so <clears throat> a contributor to Forbes magazine, and, and here's what they said. The psychology behind New Year's resolution is faulty. Resolutions can't lead to sustainable behavior change because they are not constructed in a way that harness motivation and turns, us into, turns it into action and change. We're all bound to fail to lose that weight, get to inbox zero, exercise more, stop drinking so much, and feel more gratitude. And because resolutions don't work, they are inherently depressing, right? By one estimate, 80% of resolutions are abandoned by February. Make New Year's resolutions, and you set yourself up to feel like a failure, a loser, a lazy person. And paradoxically, because you fail so quickly and thoroughly, and then in parentheses, they say, have you ever resolved to lose weight and then pigged out five hours later at a New Year's Day football watching party? (laughs) I've done that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to eat it. And then you know what the problem is? Tomorrow night. Who knows what tomorrow night is? It's the national championship for college football. And wherever you go to watch it, there will be snacks that are not on the list bad things to eat. I've done it. 
He says, because you fail so quickly and thoroughly, you easily give up trying to change. Now, New Year's resolutions typically involve one of three wishes. The wish to stop avoiding something, getting rid of all the junk in your inbox. The wish to stop doing something that makes you feel good, eating, drinking, or smoking. Or the wish to start doing something that doesn't come naturally to you, like journal or express gratitude or exercise. Changing repetitive, familiar, personal behaviors or adding new, unfamiliar ones are very, very difficult things to accomplish. The odds are stacked against you and me. He goes on to say that you should look at 2018 and talk about all the, the things you accomplished in 2018 and write those down as the beginning of what you want to do in 2019 and then make some goals because goals are better than resolutions. But regardless, it's just one more thing to try to get yourself where you need to be. And I want to suggest to you today that the most helpful person that you can find is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about this for several weeks. We're going to talk about this person of the Trinity. I know everyone wants 219 to be better, but very few are really willing to accept God's solutions so that it can be better. We want to leave 2018 behind and look forward with optimism and with faith and with anticipation. And in order to do that, I think we have to settle this one idea as we're moving forward. If we're going to let the Holy Spirit help us, we have to settle this concept, and it is that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. We tend to segment our lives. We, we compartmentalize. We, we, we put something in the sacred category and then we put something in the secular category. Our work is secular. We come to church and it's sacred. But the truth is every decision, every action, every relationship, every thought has spiritual attachments and implications. We tend not to believe this, though. We try all kinds of fads and gimmicks and, and diets and technology and equipment to change ourselves, but without a, a rooted spiritual connection to God and His kingdom, we fail. Or sometimes, even worse, we succeed and suffer the consequences of self-reliance and arrogance that begin to reside in our minds, because I can do it. The truth is, we need, to, we need to understand that everything has a spiritual connection. Here's how A.W. Tozer, the brilliant author and theologian, put it. He said, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves, until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is the, here is the warning from... This was written in the 1950s. Here's how the Apostle Paul gives his, a warning to his friends. Ephesians 5.18, 5.15 through 18, it says, so be very careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. 
Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I really like reading this passage on the first Sunday in 2019. <laughs> the Apostle Paul is contrasting the command to be filled with the Spirit with these words, don't get drunk with wine. What is he saying? He's saying don't stimulate, stimulate your life with other things. Don't stimulate your life with all kinds of things that will cause you to look foolish and to do foolish things. He's saying there is a much better alternative to filling your life up with all this other stuff to stimulating your mind or medicating your soul or entertaining yourself with all these other things. I want to make clear, I don't think he's arguing for being foolish. The Apostle Paul is very clear throughout all of his letters how important it is to study and how important it is to learn and how important it is to grow and be part of a culture. But here he's saying, he's contrasting for these Ephesian believers that you, you can't stimulate your life with all this other stuff. You need to rely on and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the most important thing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the one who can help us. Here's how the book of Romans records it. Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Which, by the way, your mind is going to be controlled by something, by someone, by you or someone else or some thought process or some pattern or some terrible thing that happened in your past. Your mind will be controlled. The only question is, who is going to control it? He says here, he says, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. <laughs> yes, the Holy Spirit is into mind control. Not really, but kind of, <laughs> right? There's a, there's a thing here that Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit, we need to allow him the primary place in our lives, in our emotions, in our, in our hearts, in our soul, being filled with the Spirit. Here's what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, so a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. I promise you, it starts here. Like the Holy Spirit wants to get in here and begin to change the way you think about life. He wants to fill you with His Spirit, with His life, with His love. Listen, it's the creator of the universe who wants to live with you and in you. Our destiny begins with our thoughts. It begins with our thoughts. The Holy Spirit wants to govern, direct, and guide and filter our minds. He wants to focus our attention. Everybody say focus. focus. 
He wants to focus our attention. He wants us to surrender to his way and his purpose and his plan by being filled with him. Everybody wants to make 2019 better. But I want to challenge you in this new series over the next few weeks. I want to challenge you to think about how you can allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform you and lead you and guide you to change your mind and to change your thought process and to change your actions and your habits, to prioritize him and let him help you. Here's how the apostle John records it. Check this out. He actually calls him a helper. John 14, 26 through 27 says, but the helper, everybody say helper. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Is there anything left after all things? (laughs) all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is Jesus talking. The role of the Holy Spirit is to help you remember what Jesus said because you forget a lot. Peace, I know. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus tells his disciples, disciples, he's the helper. Disciples, he's the helper. (laughs) The Holy Spirit wants to help you and me. I want you to think about the fact that you need peace with all the stuff that's going on around you. You want to deal with the troubled way you're struggling through life. You want, to, you want to get rid of anxiety and worry and fear. You want to get rid of apprehension and anger. I promise you, the Holy Spirit can help with that because he's our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper and really the only one who can help you make 2019 better. Now, Let's pause and talk about this word helper. Because as I was preparing for you and this message, I can't, every time I would say the Holy Spirit is our helper, I could not stop thinking about hamburger helper. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys know what hamburger helper is? I, don't, I, I ate hamburger helper when I was a kid, but I did not enjoy it. And I I actually was going to try to define, because I wasn't sure if everybody knew what Hamburger Helper was, so I I, I was trying to define, I was writing, I was like, I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. It's like some kind of goulash, you know, and who, I don't know anyone who likes the word goulash. Anyway, so here it is, here, I looked it up, It's, it's a packaged food product from General Mills and is sold as part of the Betty Crocker brand. First introduced in 1971, it consists of Boxed pasta bundled with packets of powdered sauce and seasonings. Now, do some of you really like Hamburger Helper? You like it? I couldn't stand it as a kid, mostly because I think it looks like this. No, no, that just... (laughs) No, no, you, okay, how many people, that looks good to you, weirdos, (laughs) how many people, that looks terrible, okay, oh, it's about even, it's about (laughs) 50-50, okay, I'm the weirdo, I didn't like it, I didn't like it, I don't know what it was, I would just rather have had the hamburger, and then they came up with other, other versions, right, tuna helper, oh, yeah, 
chicken helper, right? Asian helper. That sounds a little weird in 2018, but Asian helper. <laughs> Pork helper. <laughs> Cheesy taco helper. These are legit people. I looked these up. Philly cheesesteak helper. Bacon cheese hamburger helper. And then they started to get fancy. Whole grain helper. Options included lemon and herb chicken and beef stroganoff. But then they came up with something so crazy, fruit helper. I know. It's like, what is fruit helper? Dessert products made with canned or fresh fruit. <laughs> Discontinued for obvious reasons. <laughs> it's so weird. But this hamburger helper kept sticking in my mind because, you know, is, it, is, is the Holy Spirit kind of like a, a little seasoning on your life, you know, and you can kind of get... No, I, what I want to tell you is the Holy Spirit is not anything like a prepackaged food product that adds seasonings to make your life better. He is not an add-on. He is not an extra. He's not a side dish. He's not a secret menu item for those of you who know him. The Holy Spirit is a person who comes into our life and takes over in order to transform us into the image of Jesus himself. It is an inside-out work, and he has to come in for him to work himself out. And that's why we're not just talking about Christianity as a series of, of things that you do. It's something that you are. It's a transformation deep down on the inside, the change of your person, the change of your mind, the transformation of your soul. The Holy Spirit is a gift that Jesus gave his disciples and us to take his place. Check that out. He's, he, he, he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to take his place when he left and ascended into heaven. Check this out in John 16, verse 7 through 15. Nevertheless, these are the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth. He's talking to his disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying that when he leaves, if I don't leave, then he won't come. If I leave, he can come, and it will be to your advantage. Say it, my advantage. My advantage. The Holy Spirit is given for your advantage. It's better for you, he said, if I leave. Why? So the helper would come. There's an advantage here when the Holy Spirit comes because he helps us know who we really are and what we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the promise of better, the promise of better, but not the Americanized version of better, not the, not the prosperity gospel version of better. Right? It's, it, it's not like, oh, I get to collect all these other things and the Holy Spirit will help me get them. no. There's something else that's going on in this transformation. He actually helps you want different things. He works with your desires and he, he works to, to help you understand what Jesus' desire for you, what God himself wants for your life. Now, Jesus was a helper of sorts for his disciples, right? He's now he's telling them he's going to leave. And, and, and you've got to understand how this would have hit them. It would have been like, okay, Jesus, you're leaving, but you're going to send us something 
better? Because they'd seen blind eyes open. They'd seen deaf ears here, like people just being transformed, healed, delivered. They'd seen uh, bodies be totally uh, sick and, and, and bedridden and jumping up and, and being full of life. They'd seen it all. They'd seen the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be better for you when I leave. How would they have figured? How would they? They, they couldn't even comp- compute it. He's explaining that he's going to be their helper, that I'm going to send you a helper. And the word, this word helper is also can be translated comforter. It can also be translated counselor or advocate. Because the base word is parakletos, which is, means called to one's aid. If you take the two, two parts of the word para, which means from close beside, and kaleo, which means make a call properly, a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because they are close enough to the situation. That's the concept that Jesus is pronouncing to his disciples and it's a, it's a legal position. It's like this, this almost like a lawyerly kind of idea. Uh, put it back up to the other one there, uh, Sheila. Um, um, put it up to, to the two words. Yeah, there it is. Um, make a call properly, a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because close enough to the situation. This is so powerful of an idea. The Holy Spirit is the one who's close enough to your situation to give you the right advice, to make the right judgment call. He's your advocate. He's your counselor. He's your helper. Look how Jesus explains it in the next few verses. Verse 8, he says, and when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I do because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now we're going to take a look at those three things, but I'm going to finish the, the passage here. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You know what Jesus, this is, this is Jesus, this is what he's saying. He's like saying, like, this Holy Spirit guy is so amazing, but if I shared it with you, you wouldn't be able to bear it. You can't get <coughs> how good he is, how amazing he is, how, how helpful he's going to be to your life. I'm going to totally change the game. Instead of just one son of God roaming around the earth and you following him, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put myself, God himself is going to put himself into each person who will believe, who will follow. He's going to give you himself and you're going to carry him around and you'll be able to do everything Jesus did because his spirit lives in you. He's like, disciples, I want to tell you a lot more about this, but you can't handle the truth. (laughs) Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a Trinitarian verse. This is a verse where Jesus is saying, the Father gave me everything that he wants me to have, and I'm going to give it all to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to share it together and make sure you have it on the inside of you. Now, you've got to get this. You can't be afraid of this. And, and Jesus explains, and I'm just going to do this very quickly, the three ideas in this passage 
Here's how the Holy Spirit helps. Number one, he convicts me of sin in order to reveal my need for Jesus. That's what he does to everybody in the world right now. He's trying to help them discover who Jesus is and convict them of their unbelief. He says, he says, I'm, he says the Holy Spirit is going throughout the, the world, he says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, I, I think unbelief is the, is the primary sin that we end up stumbling over. We don't believe Jesus is who he says he is, but the Holy Spirit's always pointing to the necessity of Jesus. He's the one who warns me and convicts me of my conscience. He never condemns me. He's never, he's never angry at me. He's always gently drawing me to believe in Jesus rather than believing I can do it on my own. <laughs> to believe that I need Jesus when I begin to doubt that Jesus can take away my sins, he's there to say, no, he can. He is who you need. Or when I simply stop believing what he said. Number two, the second thing the Holy Spirit helps me with is he convinces me that I'm righteous because of Jesus. Not because of any righteousness or right acts that I can do. The Holy Spirit helps all believers everywhere. You and me understand that we are in right standing with God only through Jesus. There's nothing we can do to be righteous. Jesus makes us righteous. And the role of the Holy Spirit in my life is to convince me of the all-sufficiency of Christ. He's done it all. There's nothing else I have to do to receive him. Now, when I receive him, suddenly I want to do a bunch of stuff. But, but he's willing in every way. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in verse 14. We'll talk about that next week. Sometimes we need convincing because Satan himself is the accuser who wants to keep accusing you, saying that Jesus is not enough. That habit you've got, Jesus will never get a hold of that. We can trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit keeps telling us, keeps helping us understand of his sufficiency. Number three, he connects me to the authority of Christ for Satan is defeated. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers me with the authority of Jesus himself. Not my authority, not the church's authority. Jesus is the one who is supreme over all creation and over all authority in the universe. And the Holy Spirit makes sure that you're connected to that. The Holy Spirit is the link to the authority of Christ in your life. I am united with Christ. When you come to Jesus, you are uniting with him. How? By the Holy Spirit. You don't have a little Jesus living in your heart. I hate to disappoint you. He's not a little miniature Jesus just getting, kind of finding his way in there. Here he is. Jesus is in my heart. Oh, that cute. How do you, how do you become united with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, you are united with him by the Spirit, by God's Spirit that's in you, and the Spirit helps you operate in his authority for living in power over the enemy of your souls, for preaching the gospel, and for making disciples. This is what, this is what makes the Great Commission come alive. Look at it right there in your notes. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore I'm giving it to you, is what he said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey 
everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice that last phrase. How is Jesus going to be with? Right after he said this, right after he said that, you can read the Bible, he, raised, he, he ascends into heaven through the clouds, and then there's some angels, they're standing there, they're like looking at the disciples like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? He told you what to do. Go. Go get. Come on, get. That's the parsley paraphrase. So they, this moment, though, Jesus says, and surely I am with you always. How is he with us? By the Spirit. I want you to notice how the focus of the Holy Spirit changes in these verses. At the beginning, Jesus is saying he's dealing with sin. But as we trust in Jesus, the focus of the Holy Spirit begins to move just from the rudimentary problem of sin, which is not hard for Jesus himself to solve. He solved it. But it is a rudimentary problem. He doesn't need to focus all the attention on that. But as we trust in Jesus, he begins to focus less and less on sinfulness and more and more on righteousness and kingdom power to collaborate with Jesus in making disciples. Why aren't more Christians involved in helping people follow Jesus? I think it's because we don't have a, a profound and meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to do with you and me. We may know how to read our Bibles and pray. We may know how to come to church and maybe even join a scroll, small group. But you and I have to cultivate a relationship with the Spirit of God. I, just, I, want to, I want you to think about that this week. I want you to, as we go through Seek First week and as we go through this series, so many, so many Christians don't have access to the helper. He's there, he's waiting, but they somehow are afraid to let him in. They're not sure how to give him time or opportunity because they're too busy, get this, they're too busy being stimulated by so many other things in their lives. They squeeze him out. This is how they seek, this is how they seek stimulation in their lives by all these other things like we read at the beginning. Are you too busy? Are you too distracted? Are you, are you addicted to being stimulated by these other things? I want us to recognize the spirit and his work. Would you close your eyes and just bow your heads? And I, I want you to, next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as a person and who he is in the, in the Trinity. But I, I, today I want you to understand you have the love of the Father who has included you in a family. You have the Son, Jesus himself. If you believe in him, you're reconciled through his sacrifice. And he gives you an identity as one of his kids. But the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into these truths, into these ideas. He empowers, he activates, he gives gifts, he comforts, he counsels, he convicts and he convinces. He is the very living and breathing presence of God in our daily lives. And I want you to seek him. I want you to make room for him. Come to a prayer meeting this week. Pray, pray and fast one day. Maybe, maybe one, one meal, but do something that makes room for him. Let's be hungry for more. Let's be hungry for more. We're gonna come to the Lord's table now. And as an illustration of our hunger, we eat this bread and we drink from this cup. 
You come and I, you come to this table. It's a table of communion. And it is a table that Jesus prepared for you and me. And I want you to come. And as you do, I want you to realize that his sacrifice, his brokenness for your healing, his blood being poured out for your forgiveness, it comes to you by the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal who Jesus truly is. Father, we come to you and we just want to ask for you to speak to our lives. Would you, would you show us the places where we've used other things to stimulate our lives rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us? Lord, would you speak to us in these moments? Help us to come to this table of communion, of counsel, of, of help. And would you give us what only you can by your spirit? Salvation, healing, forgiveness, a sense of your presence. Would you just do that here as we repent, as we, as we yield? Forgive us, Lord, of leaving you out being too, too distracted and too busy. We thank you for your presence here in this place. Feed us, fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.